0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gauthier and is part two of our Advent 2016 series. I suppose it's strange, but when I hear John the Baptist call to repentance, I can't help but think of something that happened to me once when I had to go to pick up one of my sons from college. You know, we have to get all their stuff and get out of the dorm rooms and things. For some reason that time, it had to be me. Barbara couldn't join me, the other boys were busy. And it was a really tight turnaround, about nine hours there, nine hours back. So I talked to my son and said, look, this is really tight. You gotta be all packed up in things when I get down there so we can just turn in the keys, washed up the place, turn in the keys and turn around. It's gonna be a long trip. He said, sure, Dad. So I drive alone and get there nine hours and I look into the room and everything's all around the room. Clothes are hung up, everything's on the tables and things. And I said, son, you said you would be packed. And he said, dad, I am. And I said, well, what does unpack look like? <laughs> and he pointed to a single box with some books in the room. We were going to finish packing together. OK, so what happened is we spent the next few hours actually packing, cleaning the room, turning in the key. You know the drill if you've, if you've done this. So we were pretty dead tired. And you know, I had left in the wee hours because of the tur- turn- turnaround. So I turned around again with him, and we started heading back, back home. And about three hours out, you know, about that time, we had one of those great phenomena you see that you remember. You see it in movies all the time, like a wolf in front of it, but I'd never really seen something quite like this. The moon looked like it filled the sky. It was amazing, you know, on the left side of the road. The, the moon was like filled the whole sky on the left side of the road. It was, it was incredible. We said to each other, look, have you seen something like that? Have seen the movies? I've never really seen that. So we were so tired, I said, look, I was driving all on the way back, I said, why don't we stop, I need some coffee. Always the right answer. And I uh, got off, and we got some coffee, and we went back on. And a few miles later, he, son said, you know, dad, wasn't the, we're all groggy, wasn't the moon on the left side of the road uh, before? <laughs> and, and I said, well, show you how groggy it was, or how little I had of the natural sciences. I said, well, maybe it's one of those things where it appears to move during the night. <laughs> so we went about another 10 miles, and finally we both said, you know, we're going the wrong way. <laughs> so that, then, the horrible truth struck us. And so what happened is we got on the next off ramp, and we turned around. So what had happened, basically, is we finally found out we were going on the wrong way, concluded we need to get off, and we turned to the next exit and turned around. Now, the theme of the second Sunday of Advent is repentance. It's always true, we have a three-year cycle, but every single year, it's always the gospel of John the Baptist calling us to repentance, every year. And you almost hate to broach the topic, and for a lot of people, the word repentance really is troubling or frightening. A lot of people have bad experiences with the church with this, with guilt and fear and shame. So, but as my highway story just illustrated, repentance really boils down to three very simple and life-giving elements. First, the truth finally hits us. Second, we decide to do something about it. And third, we follow through. That is repentance. We realize, gee, for whatever reason, we're going the wrong way. We need to turn around. We look for an exit and get off. That's what repentance is. And a lot of us, if you had to say from all the parables, what's the classic example of repentance, might say, well, gee, the prodigal son, isn't that exactly his story? Remember, he's the one who goes off with his share of the inheritance, wastes all the money, and comes back home, and his father forgives him. Well, what happens there, it says that um, he came to himself, or he came to his right mind. He suddenly had, came to his senses. What am I doing here? And what did he do? He, he decide, he's determined. He said, gee, uh, time to go home. And then he actually went and did it. You remember he said, I will arise and go to my father. And then what did he do? He actually got up and went home. But we might say before we get any further with this, that that's what repentance is. We find out we're going the wrong way. We decide to do something and we take the first step towards doing it. Why would we be talking about repentance at all in Advent? Isn't this getting ready for Christmas? Isn't that sort of a Lent thing? Are they getting mixed up because of the purple vestments or something? They're pulling out their Lenten sermons. Well, actually, this is a very Advent thing. So why? Remember, Father Brett taught us last week, the word Advent comes, the word Latin word meaning coming, is talking about the coming of Christ into the world. and. There are two different comings of Christ into the world. Christmas is about the first coming of Christ, the baby Jesus of Bethlehem. The God, the Lord, the second person, the Trinity, becomes incarnate, becomes a human being like us. That's the first coming of Christ, but there's a second coming of Christ. He's coming again. That's why we always have on the first Sunday of Advent, always have the gospel about the end of the world. So what happens here is, Father Brett told us, Brent isn't pretending we're waiting for the baby Jesus. He's got here. That was 2,000 years ago. What we're doing is something very, we are actually waiting for his second coming. Just as Israel waited for the first coming, we are waiting for the second coming. That's why the epistle reminds us today. The epistle we have read from Romans says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we may have hope. So this is not about nostalgia for the past. It's about hope for the future. So the call to repentance is simply, why do we talk about it in Advent? Repentance is basically God's call to look forward to that day, to make sure we're not looking back, that we're looking forward to that day. Now today's gospel tells us two very important things about repentance that we might miss. First of all, repentance is not just for those who are first coming to the Lord. Some people think repentance is something you do once and then it's over. Now imagine a homeowner who said, well, gee, uh, your house looks terribly dirty, say, well, I I cleaned it just 10 years ago. (laughs) I mean, it's not something we do once and then go on. It's something basically that's an ongoing thing. Um, Remember with the driving example I just gave you. For a long portion of the trip, we were heading the right direction, but somehow in the course of the trip, something went wrong. So again, we can be heading in the right direction, but some things we find ourselves turned around. And the warning for us from today's gospel, and look at the people where he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The irony of the gospels is the people who thought they were closest to God were the farthest away. They were the ones who needed repentance. So we can never fool ourselves as to, you know, they said we're sons of Abraham. We can't say I'm, a, I'm part of the church. Repentance is an ongoing thing. So we have to make time in our life regularly to look and make sure we're heading in the right direction. That's the first lesson, I think, here is Repentance isn't just once in our life. It's something we have to keep always looking towards, always looking that way. Second, John the Baptist tells us true repentance always bears fruit. Remember, he says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I love the story Jesus has in just Matthew's Gospel. It's about the two sons. I want to read it to you, just a few lines. Is what do you think, Jesus says? A man had two sons, and he went to the first son and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said to him, and he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two do you think did the will of the father? I love that message. Again, how do we know the first son had repented? When we talk about bearing fruits worthy of repentance, because he went to the vineyard. That's how we know. So why does repentance so often get a bad name, a sort of creepy feel to it, a guilty feel, a shame feel to it? Well, I think we confuse the term repentance with another term which is different, which is grief or remorse. Remorse and grief are not repentance. You know, Paul warns us about this. Paul says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So remorse of itself, grief of itself, is not a good thing. It can lead to repentance, but it can very often lead to despair. It can go either direction. So what's the difference? Why does it sometimes lead one direction and sometimes the other? Worldly grief always looks backward. Why? But think about it. The past can't be changed. This is why the enemy, the accuser, the word Satan actually is the Hebrew word. Shatan is the word for prosecuting attorney, the the accuser, the one who always finds fault. He wants us to live in our past because we cannot change our past. It is literally hopeless. There's no hope that direction. All the hope is forward. So he turns us away from hope. That's the story. Worldly grief looks backward, looks at the fact we can't change things. It's like Lot's wife. Remember in the story in Genesis, you know, as she's leaving, she turns around to look back and turns into the pillar of salt. Why did Judas' grief, why was that worldly grief? He looked back at what he'd done and left, instead of looking forward to what Jesus could do. You know, Peter did the same thing. Peter was saved. Judas wasn't. Judas only could look back. Peter ends up looking forward. Godly grief, we say, calls to rep- something here that we might miss the point. You know, like those somethings in the movies. Have you had those movies where you're worried you're really, it's really a movie that's dangerous and harrowing, and you're saying, I wonder if they're going to make it? And then your your spouse, your smart spouse next to you says, you know, they're telling the story. I think they live. Okay, something is so obvious to us. The very fact we are being asked to repent means there's still time. The very call to repentance is a word of hope. To our very last breath, there will always be an exit ramp to turn around. Just two weeks ago, we talked about the thief on the cross. There is never a time where there is not an exit ramp. All we have to decide and get off. So what are some of the practical ways to determine, again, if we say grief, repentance is for all of us, what are some of the ways we might ask to need if I need to be changing my direction? That maybe I got a little off course. Maybe instead of north, I'm going south or at least got, going basically north by northeast or something. How do I know if I've got an off course? I would suggest three things we can ask ourselves. The first one is, can I really see the people around me? Won't you hear that again? Can I really see the people around me? You see, you can't love people you don't see. The second commandment of the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. But we can't do that if we don't actually see people. And here's what I mean. I've, I've always loved this analogy. Have you ever seen somebody like looking in a, a, short, a shop window, and you say, "Boy, that must be interesting." You know what they're looking. at their intent. And you go up and you realize they're actually just straightening their tie or something. They're looking at themselves. They're looking at the reflection in the window. They're not looking through the window at all. They're looking at themselves in the window. Well, sadly for many of us, that's the role of other people in our lives. We don't actually see through and see actual human beings like us with hopes and fears and dreams and hurts and joys. We see simply people who affirm us or don't affirm us. We define them basically, their job in life is to show us something about me. We don't even see them. So the reality is people don't exist to reflect us. And we can't love our neighbor until we see him or her. Mother Teresa said that she had a wonderful address during her life to the, Harvard, to the Harvard graduating class. And she said the poor around you always, she said maybe not poor in worldly things always, but poor in love. She said they're there, you just don't see them. They're in your families, they're in your school, they're all around you, you just don't see them. So seriously to ask ourselves, do I see reflection in myself, do I see people who hurt me or give me joy, simply it's always about me, or do I actually see, do I see through the window and see another human being? That's our first question. What's our second question? Am I a giver or am I a taker? You know, God is the supreme giver. That's why he created the world. God is all about giving. That's the story of the cross. There are givers and there are takers. What makes us a taker? Because we have needs, there's nothing wrong with that. When I'm a taker, it means I'm preoccupied, preoccupied with my needs in every situation, in every relationship. It's first about me, meeting my needs. If there's leftover, I'll share. But it's basically about meeting my needs. Givers, in that case, my needs alert me to the needs of others. I think we all know people like this, and they're amazing. Someone who's hungry and his first thought is, that means others must be hungry too. You know, uh, Mother Teresa's example is a wonderful thing there of a family. The sisters had given them food to feed the family, and the nuns went back and found out they'd given half of their food to another hungry family, so they didn't have enough still. They had more than they had. But that's saying, gee, if I'm hungry, somebody else must be hungry too. If I'm scared, others are scared too. I've really been impressed by stories of great Christian presences in concentration camps and talk about a fear and all the, all the pain in a situation that seems hopeless and am amazed these people are famous, people afterwards survived it. all they cared about was taking care of the fear around them, of meeting the needs of those around them. I'm hungry, others must be hungry too. I'm scared, others must be scared too. So the second, am I a giver or am I a taker? Is it all about my needs, or I see my needs as a wonderful compass that points me towards other needs, how I can get out of myself. Third, what's really important to me? Is my life as a Christian really much different from everybody else's life? And actually, there's a pretty easy way to tell. It's like having a thermometer. Have you ever had this? I wonder if I'm running a fever. I don't know. You try to feel your forehead. That's why we have thermometers. They'll pretty much tell us. Well, there is a thermometer to know where your values are. It's infallible. I don't say that lightly. We have two things that will tell us automatically where our values are our calendar and our basically credit or debit card statement. They tell us where the real values are. There's no question about them. You know, I'm, I'm an accountant, and we used to all say when I was an auditor, we said, Cash doesn't lie. <laughs> People have all these accrual stories. We say, Cash doesn't lie. So the real question is, you know, our calendar, think about it this way. Think about our calendar. Again, as an accountant, Tax season is basically January 1st through, through April 15th is, is tax season. Accountants love to tell, you know, dramatic stories. I'm so busy I can't even go home. My kids have to wear name tags. I see them so, so fel- seldom. Okay. But amazingly, during this season occurs March Madness. And if you're involved in college basketball, these same people who don't have a moment amazingly seem to see all the games. Every one of them. I mean, they don't just hear the scores, they seem to tell you about everything. How does this happen? We always find time, don't we, for things that are really important to us. And when it comes to, to money, the same things, basically, the kids might not have shoes, but if dad fishes, he's going to have tackle. We always find money for things that are really important to us. So if we really want to take out the thermometer instead of asking, gee, I wonder if I have a fever, ask ourselves, the, the truth is there. You know, do I, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my treasure? So in conclusion, none of these are signs, by the way, none of these are reasons to, to give up hope, quite to the contrary. If we answer yes, if we have trouble with any one of these questions, if we're heading in the wrong direction, we have great news. That's what we call this the gospel. Every passage is good news. It means right now you're coming up to an exit ramp. There's plenty of time right now we can turn around. I love the story of Zacchaeus. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, he looks a lot more like me than Father Brett. Okay. <laughs> And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, if you don't know the story. And he, tax collectors were just the low, lowest of the low in, 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 the, in that time, time of Jesus. And Jesus was coming through, and since he was short, what happened is he wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short to see him behind the, the clouds, so he climbed up. Imagine this, how silly it was, in a robe. You know a, you know, a man, a middle-aged, older man, in a robe, climbing up a tree. And what happened, Jesus looks up and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to have dinner with you. And Zacchaeus says it runs down. He's, you know, with joy, runs down. and He says, first of all, he's going to make everything good. He says, everything I've ever stolen you, everything I've done injustice, I'll make good fourfold, which is the requirement of the, of, the, of the law, the law of Moses. And he doesn't stop there. He's so delighted, it pours over into incredible generosity. He said, after that, I'll give half of everything I have to the poor. And Jesus says one of the most amazing words in the Gospels. Three weeks ago, we heard that word to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. This is the other today statement of Jesus. He says, today salvation has come into this house. That's what it looks like. So what are the five important points we see here in the story of Zacchaeus? First of all, he wasn't afraid to make a complete fool of himself. He wasn't cared what getting care what other people think. He realized you know, he, he, had, he, he made a fool of himself. Something had to change. When Jesus invited him to dine with him, there wasn't the slightest hesitation. It's interesting, in Luke's Gospel, we hear the story of Zacchaeus. Right before that, in the previous chapter, we have the story of the rich young man. Remember, he was asked, well, Jesus asked him to basically be a disciple. Leave everything you have and come follow me. And said he actually went off sad. He was asked to be a disciple, and he went away sad because of the money. Zacchaeus wasn't even asked, and he offers the money. What a contrast. So, uh, he, you know, not only did he make right, but his joy overflowed into incredible generosity. And then Jesus, again, his incredible words, today salvation has come to this house. Now, like Zacchaeus, Jesus invited. What's the big moment for Zacchaeus? Jesus said, I want to have dinner with you. I want to dine with you. Well, you'll notice this looks like a table because it is. Every one of us here has received the invitation today to dine with Jesus at his table. Every one of us. How do we respond to that invitation? Well, first of all, like Zacchaeus, without any shame or hesitation, The enemy would have us look back to the past with shame. Forget that. Zacchaeus didn't look past. He looked forward. The cross, that's why the cross back there gives us every reason to look forward. There's no reason to despair with the cross. There is no sin that's bigger than the cross of Jesus. Second way, how do we respond? We respond with joy, not just without hesitation, with joy. Third, we we respond with a determination to make things right. Not out of guilt, but a new sense of freedom. We're starting our lives over a new sense of freedom to make things right. And finally, with incredible generosity. Instead of scarcity, we think of abundance. It pours out in generosity. In generosity that's not forced, it's real. It comes from abundance. So the invitation, perhaps you're considering calling out to Jesus, some of us here, for the first time. Or maybe you've been baptized and following Jesus for a long time, but you know that there's just something that's not right in your relationship with God or something not right in your relationship with other people. Wherever you are in your spiritual life, no matter how badly you've messed up, the exit ramp is right here and right now. Jesus can say of you today, as he said of Zacchaeus, today salvation has come into this house. We must never forget in John the Baptist's message that it is a word of hope. We always hear the word repent, but what is followed up? Why do we repent, John the Baptist says? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Thanks for listening.